Amen and amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So good to have you here. And I'm already excited about what God has in store for us today. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And and we're going to get there here in just a few seconds. And I'm going to have you keep your Bibles open because we're going to be moving to Romans 4. And some of you are like, yeah, fine. We thought we are going to be in Romans 3 forever. Hang with me. We're getting to Romans 4 today. But but let me just start off by saying this because some of you don't know that when I moved to Idaho in 2004... I, my, the thing that brought me here was Grace Bible Church. I was youth pastor here for just a short amount of time. But, but during that amount of time, uh, during the time that I was here as youth pastor, there was a certain kid that, man, he and I just hit it off. But he was one of those kids that just yap about everything. Talk, 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 talk. And he's always there talking. I mean, like, like what I mean by this, like, like if, if we were playing basketball, before the game, he would tell me, he's like, yeah, I'm like probably the best basketball player that's ever played the game. And, you know, that type of thing. I, I, one, of the, one of the best lines, we were on a, a youth trip to Lagoon, and I remember him telling, he's like, hey, you see these hands right here? I'm like, yeah, I see those hands. He's like, yeah, I've been taking karate, and they made me register these hands as lethal weapons with the FBI. I'm like, pretty impressive, bro. I mean, it was just, it was one of those, those type of guys. And so we had had a men's retreat. And, and actually, probably some of you here today will remember this story. We had a men's retreat up in the mountains. And, and so we had a campsite. There was a river over here. And we'd gone to a place. There was, there was like a lake. And there was like a, a cliff that went off the lake. And so somebody had made hamburgers at night. We're, we're having burgers. And, and he was sitting by me. He did, his dad hadn't gone, but I, I'd invite him. I said, why don't you come with us? You know, just hang out. So we're, we're sitting there, and he's like, hey, so I don't know if you know this or not. He said, but I got a BMX bike. I'm like, oh, that's cool. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty good on it. I'm like, awesome, man. So I'm eating my hamburger. He's like, well, I bet you, I bet you think that I couldn't ride off that cliff into the lake and do a backflip. I'm like, all right. He's like, I brought my bike. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. He's like, I bet you think I can't do it. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm like fine. I don't think you can do it. He's like, I can do it. And so he, he runs over and gets his BMX bike, and, and he like got like 20 yards away to get a good start at this. Man, he pedals for everything that he is worth, man. He is just buzzing. And, dude, he launches off that cliff. And it literally, to me, it, it was like, if you've seen E.T., like the little, like, uh, that's exactly what it looked like as he goes off into the wild blue yonder, and he tries to do the backflip, and he fails on an epic level. Like he went down, the bike went down. And when he went under, he came back up and he shouts, I can't swim. And I'm like, Why can't you think of this before you do your backflip? And so Rod Black, Rod's here. Rod dives in after him, pulls him, pulls him back to shore. And then he's sitting there. He's like, my bike, I paid $72 for that thing. And I remember, you know, another guy jumps in and brings the bike back. And so we get him. We get, it was, man, the water was freezing. It was like, mountain, you know, mountain water. He, he's sitting there. We wrap him in a blanket. And he sits down by me. I'm still eating my burger, man. I mean, this is great, you know. <laughs> like a free show. And so he is, he is huddling this blanket. And he's like just shaking. And for 15 minutes, he never said a word. But after 15 minutes, he said, hey, Keith, I bet you think I can't do a backflip off the... I'm like, no, you already tried that. You can't swim. It's not going to happen. 
Now, I want you to, I, I told that story, I, I want you to hold on to that story because we're going to come back because it actually underscores something. So we've been in this, this series in Romans. We're talking about what it means to be a person of the gospel. And so in Romans chapter 3, we've spent some time breaking this down. We looked at the fact that there is a righteousness that we have, but it's apart from the law. It's not performance-based righteousness. And, and there's some big words we've been looking at. We looked at what justification is. We've been justified by, great, uh, by the work of Christ. It's a gift. And, and what we saw is that, you know, it's, it's more than just forgiveness. You know, it's, it's more than just saying you're pardoned, you can go free. Justification is saying you can come. Because I've done this work, it, it's like the relationship is restored, like the sin is never committed. This is a gift. I've bestowed upon you rights and status, and we looked at all of that. Last week, we broke down what this word redemption means. We talked about the fact that we do not, we are not called to live lives of slavery. In fact, here in a few weeks, we're going to break that down in, in, in further detail. We're not called to live lives of slavery. We've been called to freedom. We can be liberated. We can be set free. But the freedom, we sang it this morning, it has a price. It's, this is redemption. We are redeemed. There's a price that was paid. It was Christ. He did this work on the cross so that we could be set free from those things that enslave us by slave masters, those people or things to which, whether it be career, uh, you know, whatever, things that we can't can't say no to. We can be free through Jesus Christ. And so, so Paul has introduced this. He's broken this down. And then we get to verse 27 of Romans chapter 3. And here's what, here's what we read. Then what becomes of our boasting? If all of this is, is, is Christ, then what becomes of our boasting? And Paul says it's excluded. Really what it does, it shuts us up. How? By, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, I underline this in my Bible, this phrase. No, but by the law of faith. What is the law of faith? I want to talk about that today. I want to, I want to look at boasting, and I want to look at this law of faith. This is really, really important. No, it's by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised. He's talking here of the Jews. He will, he will justify the Jews and the uncircumcised. These are the Gentiles. The others that, that Jews think they're the only ones that have the promises. No, it's Jews. It's all of us. He will justify all of us, but he'll do this. Look at those two words there at the end of verse 30, through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. I want you to hold your Bibles open and because we're going we're gonna to jump into Romans chapter 4 here in just a second. But I want to break something down. I want us to understand a few things about saving faith. If we're going to be people of the gospel, as we've been talking about in this series, we have to understand saving faith. And there are three things that we have to agree to, that we have to agree upon uh, when it comes to saving faith. Three truths. And so the first, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, maybe you have the app open, uh, just, just, just type this up. All of us, we all have a desire, have a need to be recognized and applauded. All of us have a desire. All of us have a need to be applauded and recognized. I mean, we're born with this. And, and I, I want to say something here at the very beginning. God gives us, he instills this within us, okay? But what we're going to see is that many times this need, this motivate, it, it can be perverted. It can be distorted. But it's not just that we're, we're born with this, like, like we're formed, we grow up 
you know, getting applied. Like, for instance, you know, like your firstborn kid, the first, the first time they take their first steps, I mean, you would think that they just came up with some cure for everything. You're like, yes! Oh! Dude, they took two steps, right? Now, and honestly, by the time you get like your fourth kid, you're like, yeah, I've seen it before. But, but you're the first time, you're like, yes, this is amazing. My kid is going places. Literally, they are, but it's like two steps. But it's not just that. Like, I mean, like, like for instance, some of you parents, man, even now grandparents, you remember when your kids were potty trained. You bribed them if you do this Oh, we are going to celebrate. It's going to be And when they finally get potty trained, you celebrate. You're probably celebrating the fact that you don't have to change diapers. But the reality is like, yes, you did it. It's like, man, man, we just born little performers, man. Like, hey, this is great. If I do this, people are going to clap for me. It, it, all it does is it reinforces this thing that we're born with. And, and it's funny, it doesn't go away just because we're a kid. It goes all through life. This week, I was having a conversation with a guy in his 60s, and, and we were having a discussion, and I asked him this question. I said, what is it that drives you? What is it? Because he was talking about how he's been so driven. I said, what is it that has driven you all of these years? And he said, I'll tell, he said I know exactly what it was, what it is. He said, I've never heard my, he said, I never heard my dad say I'm proud of you. He said, I, I live my life proving to my dad through my career, through everything I did, that I'm worthy of your respect. And I say that, and you're like, wow, that's, no, actually, some of you get what I'm talking about. You see, it's something that's deep within us. And so, so here's the question. What happens when we don't receive the validation, when we don't hear the applause, when we don't get that affirmation, what do we do then? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We boast. Because if nobody else is going to boast on me, guess what? I'm going to boast on myself. Maybe if I start talking myself up a little bit, then people will see who I am. Listen, there Right now, let's just talk about it. Let's just think about it. Let's just stop and think about this. We can all think of somebody that has to boast on themselves. And if you can't think of anybody, guess who you are? I'm just telling you. <laughs> no, we, we, we've all been there. I've been there. You've been there. Maybe, maybe if I talk this up, I'll, somebody will give me the respect that I crave. Now, I get this because, you know, like I, I'm not that old. I, I just turned 45 and... and uh, I used to be a decent basketball player. I mean, my game peaked like when I was like, I don't know, 17 years old in two days or whatever. I mean, I had this brief moment of, of times, like a weak window where I was really good. But now the only thing I left in my game is smack talk. And dude, I'm going to tell you right now, I can talk smack with the best. So like when I'm playing ball with Trey, he's like, he's got me by, by like three inches. I will talk smack the entire time I'm guarding him which isn't very often because usually, usually blowing by me, I'm talking smack. It's the only thing I've got left. And, and it's funny because this is something that's been passed on from generation to generation. If you study history, there was an ancient ritual called the battle boast in which kings or generals would gather the troops together. I mean, how do you inspire a group of men to charge into danger, to lay their life on the line? Back in the day, you know, you, there was this ancient ritual of the battle boast, and it would go something like this. The king or the general would get the, the, the troops together. I mean, think William Wallace. In fact, I just watched Braveheart, the end of Braveheart this week, which is, I just, can't we just all admit, it might be one of the greatest movies. If you don't believe that's one of the greatest movies, 
you probably need to meet Jesus. But anyway, I'm just saying this. I was watching the very end, and he gives this stirring, epic speech, and he says a speech, and I'm going to jump into the TV. and say, let's go. I'm not even Scottish, and I'm ready to fight. And what they would do, they would gather, you know, gather the, 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 the troops and they're like, man, by the time this day is over, the, whoever the enemy commander is, his head is going to be on our stake in our camp. We're going to do this and we're going to do that and they're going to be this and we're going to be this. And, and man, at the end of every one of those big battle boasts, everybody's like, yes, let's go. We've got this. I mean, some of the great epics that we have literally are, are really battle boasts. Here's what we're going to do. In fact, you, you mean, just study history. It doesn't matter if you're Anglo-Saxon, Mandarin, Greek, whatever. They have all, all these things that, that at the heart of it says this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to be this. And, and it's going to be amazing. It's really just us saying, hooray for us. We have what it takes and we're going to do it. And everybody's going to go, yes. And then we just jump. It's an aspiring way to go into battle. You see, all of us want to be applauded and recognized. And when we don't hear that individually, we either attach ourselves to something we can be part of or we make our boast in something. And that leads me to my second point. Every one of us, all of us, make our boast in something. All of us. We all make our boast in something. And, and, and this is where I want to spend some time because the Bible has a lot to say about boasting. Like, I've, I've never talked, I've never preached a sermon about boasting, but the Scripture has a lot to say about it. It's a characteristic of the human heart. We, we see this all, all through Scripture. In fact, I'll give you one example. It's from the book of Judges. I think it's Judges uh, 7. There's this guy named Gideon that God calls, and uh, really it's a guy that had no reputation. God calls him and says, I want you to lead my people into battle. Right at, at, this, at this time in Israel's history, they were enslaved by the Midianites. Midianites had come together against them, and Gideon had followed what God had called him to do. He called a bunch of guys together. He, in fact, most of Israel, most of the men of Israel had gathered with him. And it says that the, the, the countryside was, was just, was, man, there were Midianites everywhere. So much, it looked like the sand of the sea. And so Gideon goes before the Lord to pray, to ask for his blessing in battle. And here's what God says to him after he asked for God to give him the victory of the Midianites. In essence, he says, you got too many people with you. Are you kidding me, God? Have you seen how many people we got up there? I mean, he didn't say that. I'm just like, throwing, I'm like, I'm thinking this. No, God says, if I deliver the Midianites into your hands, Israel's going to boast against me. And here's what God said. God, God said, you will say, mine own hand has saved me. And it's interesting because you, this is just an example. This is really the very essence of, of the problem because the whole idea behind a ritual boast is we can do it, we can get it, we're strong enough, we're good enough. And all of us boast in something. We boast in our strength, we boast in our beauty, we boast in our smarts, we boast in, man, I I'm going to gut my way through this. We all boast in something, even when it's a God-given gift. In fact, many times we boast in the things that God has given us. We, we take credit for what he's done, and I don't discount any of us that, that have accomplished things, that you have a resume, you've done, you put in some work, but can, can we all admit that it's God who gives strength, God who provides opportunities? There are many things that God has done. 
And yet we want to take credit for what God has done. And at the very nature of the heart of, of, of each of us is this desire, I don't know how to say it, to be a glory hog. We desire the glory. And, and, and so what we want to do is we want this glory. We want it. We feel like if we have the glory, it gives us what we need, this recognition, this applause. But, but if, you, if you read God's word, what, what, we just say, what we see is that the boasting is usually nothing more than spiritual sickness. It's something that has to be cured. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 9, the God speaking through the prophet, thus says the Lord, chapter 9, verse 23, he says, let not the, the uh, wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Now, I want you to see if you hear some uh, familiar words. Who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. This is what Paul's been talking about. There's a righteousness that we all want, but it's apart from the law. There, there's a justice. God is just and the justifier. There's a justice, but it doesn't come from us. It's a gift from God. There's a justification. And what God is saying, don't boast in who you are, boast in who I am. This, this word boast here this, in the Old Testament, it's, it's halal, it's, it's, it's the, it's, it's the uh, Hebrew word, it's the word from which we get hallelujah. Hallelujah is, is praise or boast, that's what halal means, praise to the Lord, praise to Yahweh, that's where we get hallelujah. Most of us just drop off to the Lord, we just want to boast. And so we're all going to boast in something because we, we have to stand out. We have to be validated in something. We, we have to find our value. What is my value in? And so we find, we, we, we chase whatever it is that's going to make us stand out. Every single soul looks to something and says, that's mine, so I'm strong enough. And we look to cheer ourselves or get cheers from other people. Well, you know, if you're a parent, you're like, man, look, I'm a good dad. I'm a good mom. Look at my kids. So we're like, no, I don't want to do that. So look at my resume. Look at what I've done. We're all looking for something to bolster our identity. We need the applause. But what Paul is addressing here, the real issue here is that invariably you and I are going to boast in our performance. And listen to me, this is why I'm bringing this message to the church today. Because one of the greatest dangers for us is to not be a person of the gospel, but to be a person of morality. I am a good person. I go to church. I do these things. I subscribe to this. I've joined this club. I give this. And what happens is we, we begin to look at our performance and God's saying, no, don't do that. Why? Because what God knows is what we ground our confidences in is where we find our identity. And when our identity is in us, when what makes us stand out, we invariably, we, we, uh, we always have to look to something else to compare ourselves to. And what we compare ourselves to, that has to be the bad person. So the standard shifts based on where we're at. We have to find somebody else, and they, it always has to be the enemy. And so when, when we boast in ourselves, boasting eventually becomes a taunt. And taunting is, is when at an enemy, we're going to do this to you. This is who you are. And, and what I mean by this, there's some of you that have a very strong work ethic, right? I mean, you, you struggle with people who don't share your work ethic. 
And so what happens, and, and I get this, because, man, I was ingrained, really strong work ethic. I'm teaching my kids the same way. When you see somebody who's sitting on the rear end, it's like, they need to get their rear in gear. And you find excuses to disdain them. And if I can disdain them, then I can take their value away and, in essence, steal their value, put it to me, and look at me. You see, you see the problem here? This happens in the church. You're like, no, nah, it doesn't happen. Oh, yes, it does. I've seen this happen between ministry leaders at a church where they pit one ministry against the other. Our ministry is really just doing more for the Lord than yours. They'd never say that, but that's what they're doing. Dude, I, 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 hey, I grew, I grew up in a, in, in a tradition. It was like, man, it's us four no more. They're going to heaven. I'm like, dude, heaven's a pretty big place, man. For, it's going to be us. It's going to be kind of like, we can't even field enough for a football team. What are we going to do, you know? But now that's, that's it. I mean, we, were, we weren't sure the Baptists were going to make it to heaven. I mean, and we knew for sure the Nazarenes weren't going to make it. I can tell you that right now. Now, you, you know what I'm saying? We, we, it's all us. And so what happens is when we, we, we can become so, so, even within the church, even within the context of the word God, I am right. I have right information. I know right doctrine. Guys, I get emails every single week. Do you agree with me on this, 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 and this? And in essence, I know what that email means. If we don't agree doctrinally, I'm out of here. And by the way, can I just say, I get that. There is an importance in, in right doctrine. But many times, the doctrines that we hold to are man's interpretation of things. And when we, I, I just, I struggle believing that many of our stupid fights that we get in, even doctrinally, are fulfilling Jesus' prayer when he prayed in John 17, Lord, I'm praying that we all be one. That'll preach right there. Somebody got convicted. That is good right there. I'm telling you right now. Ooh. Now, see, here, here's the thing. A boast, when we begin to boast in our performance, we got to have somebody else that's the enemy when it's someone that's the enemy, then we can demean them. We can despise them. Our boast begins to become a taunt. A taunt does nothing more than reveal that our boast, if it's in us and our performance alone, is nothing more than a spiritual sickness. And what Paul is, is talking about here, as, uh, here at the end of Romans chapter 3, is that this spiritual sickness has to be addressed. There is no place for boasting when we look at the work of Christ. Boasting is excluded. The, the cure for boasting is saving faith. Not just general faith, I'm talking about saving faith. And so this is where we turn the, the page and we get to Romans chapter 4. Because Paul wants us to understand, and, and so he's talking primarily to a Jew, he's writing to a Jewish audience, their forefather is Abraham, and so they know they came from Abraham, and so Abraham actually came before the law came. The law that they measured their performance by, that came with Moses. Abraham is, is you know, 400 plus years before Moses. And so here's what Paul, using him as an analogy, writes. He said, what then should we say? Verse 1 of Romans 4. What then should we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In essence, what he's saying is like, like nobody here, you're going to put in a 40-hour week, 60-hour week, whatever. You get your paycheck. None of you are going to write a thank you note to your boss. Hey, thank you so much for that unexpected financial gift that you gave me. That has just blew me away. No. You clocked in or, or you know what, you, you did the work, you get paid. You don't, you don't see that as a gift. You are due that. What Paul is saying is, I, mean, I, want, I want you to get rid of that thinking. In fact, I don't know what version of the Bible that you, uh, you use, but I, I preach primarily out of the English Standard Version. And, and so the word count, you know, counted as righteousness, it shows up like three times, I think, in the five verses that I read. Maybe it shows up in, in like other translations, I think it shows up as the word credited. But the, whether it's count or credit, Paul is using an accounting term here. He's saying that the righteousness that you have, I've introduced this righteousness that's apart from the law. In essence, you have received something. You've been credited something that you don't deserve. So I've been following the story. I don't know if anybody else has been following the story. I'm kind of a news junkie. And I, uh, I, I think I first stumbled across this in February or March. There's this lady in Louisiana that uh, this would have been maybe end of last year. It might have been January, something like that. Uh, she had an account with Charles Schwab, and it was a, uh, some sort of retirement account or something like that. Well, they were supposed to transfer some money to her account. It was like literally, I think it was $82.56 that Charles Schwab was supposed to transfer to her account. Somebody made an error, and they transferred $1.2 million to her account. Okay, so put yourself in this story, right? I mean, you check your app, you're checking your account, you're like, Hello! I mean, I appreciate, you know, my getting a salary at the church, but I never had seen $1.2 million sitting in my checking account, especially when I looked the night before, and I'm like, okay, there are way too many zeros. So what would you do in that situation? Well, I'll tell you what this lady did. She opened a new account with another bank and transferred $1.2 million to the other account and shut down her Charles Schwab account. Some of you are like, are you serious? Yep, she did it. Well, you gotta, you gotta know that at some point, like, you know, C. Schwab is gonna figure out they made an error, right? Okay, I mean, they're gonna figure this out. Well, in the meantime, she transfers it. She buys a new house, cash. She buys a new car. She starts, they, they figure out who the lady is. The camp's been closed. They start sending her strongly worded letters. We need you to reimburse the money. She's like, I'm not gonna do it. She said, it was your mistake you put it in my account. It was my account. I can do whatever I want. I, I transfer the money, close the account. I don't owe you anything. They said, we're going to turn over the FBI. She said, fine. She got arrested. And she, as the last I checked, I, it's, it's been a while since I checked this story, uh, like a few weeks. She was sitting in jail and she's still saying, it's my money. I can do with it whatever I want. We're like, you're messed up. Everybody knows that was not your money. That was a mistake. Now, first of all, somebody needs to get fired from Charles Schwab. Like, who does that? But the issue is it wasn't her money. Now, that's a negative take, but Paul is using, it's almost identical if you can get what he's saying here. He's saying that we have this account and righteousness has been deposited in our account. But do not miss this. The righteousness that was deposited in your account was not your righteousness. 
You did not earn this righteousness. You did not work in any way for this righteousness. This righteousness is Christ's righteousness. This literally is the work of Christ on the cross. It's not your work. It's his work. It's not your performance. It's Christ's performance. And this is why he's using Abraham as an example. He says, we, we read here, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, so as I close, I, I want to make sure we understand this because this brings it full circle, I think. Okay, you guys know what a covenant is, right? A covenant. It's, it's, a, it's a binding agreement made between two or more people. Now for us, like, you know, we'll get a lawyer, you, you know, you, you appear before somebody that has to have the witness and all that. But back in the ancient days, back in, in Abraham's day, here's how a covenant was ratified. You would take an animal or animals, you would kill them, split them in half. You would either put them on posts and put them in the ground, or you would lay them on the ground. It was a covenant made with blood, and the two individuals or more who were, who were uh, making the covenant, they would walk arm in arm. There would be a path. They would walk arm in arm between this. And, and really what it was doing, it was signifying, so, you know, if I break this covenant, may I be drawn and quartered like, these, like this cow or whatever it is, if, if I break this covenant, Okay. And so that was just the way things were done. When Genesis chapter 15, there's this incredible account of God coming to Abraham and making these incredible promises to him. And we read that, that Abraham believed these promises, that out of him he was going to, to, to make a great nation, that literally the world is going to be impacted through Abraham. It says that Abraham believe, believed, and this is where we get this, and it was credit to him as righteousness. Now, what happened, though, is after Abraham received this promise from God, God asked Abraham to kill a cow. Abraham knows what's getting ready to go down. This is a covenant. We're getting ready to ratify the promise that God has made because this is how we do things. Abraham kills the cow. He does his work. He creates the path. Fully expecting, I'm convinced, just because I know, you know, studying, uh, if, if, you, if you study history from this period of time, he knows how things go down. He's fully expecting that he is going to walk between these two, these two uh, halves of the cow and in essence say, may the same be done to me if I fail in any way in this covenant. But that's not how it went down. You know what happened? God put him to sleep. And yet, this deep darkness came upon him, and though he was asleep, he was, though at the same time, conscious that what was getting ready to go down was not him walking through, but God himself came down. And we read that God is the one who passed between the two halves of the animal. Hold on a second. What's going on here? What we see is that as God appeared in the form of a smoking, fiery pillar, he was making this point very clear to Abraham. I promise to bless you. I'm, I promise to do everything I said. But my promise does not rest on your ability to do your part. The promise rests on my ability and my ability alone. Come on. You know what God was saying? I don't need you, Abraham, to accomplish this. I don't need your work. 
I don't need whatever skin you're going to bring to the table. I'm going to do this for you even if it means being torn in pieces like this animal. And do not miss this. Here's what Paul, why Paul's bringing this to the surface. He was torn. That's Philippians chapter 2. I talked about it last week. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus Christ, who had the applause, he had everything that we yearn for here. He had the recognition. He is the prince of heaven. What Philippians 2 says is that Christ, who rightfully had the applause of heaven, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death, uh, to obedience, to, uh, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I want you to get this. This is why what I'm talking about is so, so very important. This is why saving faith is the cure to our boasting. Okay, so Jesus has all the praise. He has all the adoration. He literally has the applause of the Father, and yet he empties himself, and he is beaten. He is mocked. He is ridiculed. You you, you name it. He heard people, boo. He heard that. This is Christ. He lost everything so that you and I could have a name with God. Listen to me. We're going to all stand before God someday. We're either going to stand before God in our righteousness or in the righteousness of Christ. We're going to hear one of two things. If we come standing in our righteousness, look at me, come on. God, you got to let me in. Look at what I did. Honestly, that's what most of, most of the, all the other religions except Christianity, that's what, that's what they say. Look at what I did. I deserve this. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. In fact, he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. But yet, on the other hand, when you and I understand that the only thing I bring to the table is zeros in my account, If there's any number in front of the zeros, it's because God deposited it there. And I understand that my righteousness is not my righteousness. It's literally the righteousness of Christ. It does two things. Number one, it gets rid of our inferiority complex. It gets rid of, I've got to measure up, I've got to do more. But not only that, it makes us understand that our boast could never be in ourselves. In fact, I want to leave you with this. My last point, the last truth we all have to agree on is this. Though we all just have this desire to be applauded and recognized, that we're all going to boast in something, the only boast that counts is our boast in Christ's work for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul later in Galatians 6, he summed up Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 this way. Galatians 6.14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Listen, the recognition, the value, the significance that we all were born with, we're born with, is not going to be found in our boasting. It's going to be found in boasting in his work. I, I love C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers. He, he, wrote, he, uh, he, he wrote this, actually an essay, it turned into a book, The Weight of Glory, and he writes this. He says, it is written that we shall stand before him. 
He writes, the promise of glory is the promise. It's almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ that we shall please God. It seems impossible. It's a weight of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. It means good report with God, acceptance, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. I love this line. He says, the door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. But when it opens and we hear the applause of heaven, we hear the applause of God, we will understand. The applause we hear is not because I did it. It's not because I worked this hard. No, the applause of heaven, God's thunderous affirmation is going to be heard by us by grace through faith in Christ's work. Guys, the only thing we have, the only boast we have is in Christ. And so when I say that we are born with this need for recognition and applause and it's given to us by God, I mean that. We'll never find it in striving for things here. The more you have, the more you need. One day, we'll find what we were created for, the affirmation, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what we have to look forward to. So as we close this message, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful, guys, that I'm not standing here in my own on the base of my own performance, I wouldn't be here. Honestly, there would be nobody gathered in this room because we don't have anything to bring to the table, but because of Christ, because of Christ, we can have that confidence. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna close in prayer. As we've been closing out every service, I'm gonna close the same way. At the end of my prayer today, if you committed your life to Christ, you've recommitted your life to Christ, you get it. Something clicked for you, the light came on. I want you to stand at the end. We don't, we don't have you stand to embarrass you. No, we, we stand to celebrate because, man, we, we, we celebrate that this, this God. God gets the glory. We don't get the glory. And so if that's you, we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate at the end. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your good work. The good work that you did from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world, God, you had already prepared your plan. Now, we don't understand how all that works. The whole thing of predestination and all that, you know, we can talk firmly like we got our, we still don't have it all figured out. But the reality is I'm thankful that it's true that you had a plan that Christ would come, that Christ would die for our sins. He became our sacrifice. And because of that, we can have a righteousness that, that and re really that righteousness is all the applause that we, that we yearn for, that we long for. We, we can actually be right and validated as right, but it's not even our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. And I thank you for that today. So God, for the person that's here that has struggled with this concept, they're trying, they're, they're seeking, they're seeking recognition, they're boasting, they're making their boast in anything. God, if there's anything we're boasting in except Christ, would you convict us of this? And Lord, may we again put our confidence where it is. It's in Christ's work and Christ's work alone. 
And for that, we'll thank you. And so God, for the person that maybe today is, is making that decision for the first time, or maybe there's someone who has forgot this truth, or maybe the light came on, I get this, and they're recommitting their life to you. I want to thank you for that. I thank you for the four or five already today that we, we've celebrated what you've done. God, I believe you're going to do it again. And so God, for what you've done, we thank you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. So let's do this, guys. If you're here today and you recommitted your life to Christ or committed your life to Christ, would you just stand so we can celebrate what God's done? I just want to celebrate what God's done here today. Is there anybody in, in, this, uh, in this service, anybody at all? Just stand and let's celebrate. Yes, yes. Praise God. We've got two here. Anybody else? Come on. Give God the glory, man. That's where it's at. It's God. It's God. Praise God. Woo! I want all of us to stand. I want all of us to stand. Listen, we're going to leave here today. Man, I, I, I'm just fired up. This truth that I've talked about today, this fires me up. Guys, this is the difference maker. This is the difference. We're not standing in our own strength. It's his. So what I want you to do, I want you to go. I, w- I want you to go, but not working for your glory. I want you to go working for his glory. When you leave, I want you to boast, but I want, to ma- I want you to make your boast in anything but the cross of Christ. Let's boast in Christ. He's got this and he's not done. If he's not done, you know what that means? The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So go encourage. God is for you. He's with you. We'll see you next, next week.